This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. So I don't know if you guys heard, but the Nets blew it up. <laughs> they, they traded Kyrie Irving, and then they traded Kevin Durant. And now we've got a brand new Nets team. And I apologize. It has been uh, over a week and a half since they made the Kevin Durant trade. But maybe it's good to have the discussion now. Now that the smoke has kind of filtered out, the fire has burned, and we could all wrap our heads around the new Brooklyn Nets but I give credit to Mike Biseglia, of course, the fine host of uh, the Bad Weather Fans podcast. Mike delivers pod on Twitter. He's the one who placed a phone call to me on Friday afternoon while I was in a rental car in Florida to let me know that Kyrie Irving had demanded a trade. And this whole destruction, which started there, really, it came as such a shock. Because I remember, bro, when we were talking, yeah. you know, months earlier, it was, hey, if they're not playing well, we may just decide it's time to blow it up. That was not the case. They won 18 out of 20. Even though they weren't playing great without Durant, they were surviving without Durant. And there was no basketball reason to think that this team would blow it up. And it it came as such a shock, even though it shouldn't be, because Kyrie is Kyrie, to hear that news that you broke to me a few weeks ago. Well, first off, I felt the urge to call you. And I know I no normally don't, but I just, I sent you a text. I knew you weren't working that day and it was one fifty-two, So I knew you wouldn't be good getting ready to go on the air. And I said, screw it. I got to call him. I have to <laughs> tell him because I, I knew you did, you not, you, you did not see it. And I just felt the, the urge that I had to tell you. And I just had to express it uh, and get it out of my, you know, get it out of my system. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, you're right because it wasn't, it was shocking. But at the same time, it wasn't shocking all at once, which I think really defines everything with Kyrie Irving. Uh, and it did show you that he did not really care at all. He can he can say anything he wants about hard work and teamwork. It was a business for him, you know, right or wrong. He had no interest in the Nets. And his uh, his ego said, get me out of here. I'd rather go somewhere else. He was done with it. It's It's crazy because, and obviously we're biased in this whole thing, but as we sit here today, Kyrie Irving is in the same contract situation. He wanted a long-term contract. The Nets weren't going to give it to him fully guaranteed. He's not getting it right now out of Dallas. He's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. So the result contract-wise is exactly the same. And team-wise, I would argue he had a better chance to win with Durant in Brooklyn than really starting over in Dallas. And I, I mean starting over in terms of starting over with chemistry, starting over with a new coaching staff, starting over – in a new city. Like we learned it over the last few years. This isn't fantasy football. This isn't fantasy baseball or basketball where you just insert a couple of guys together and you can go win a championship. So I don't think anyone gets the last laugh in this. It sucks for us, but I also think it sucks for him. Like I, I don't think now that this has ended for him, I don't see how 
he ended up in a better situation. I, I, I really believe this. I think he hated the Nets in the organization or maybe just a certain couple of people so much. He didn't care. Like, yeah. I think it was more like Dallas. That's, Dallas will be a good place. I've got some connections there. Jason Kidd. They've got another star in Luka Doncic. I'll make this work. I think it was more for him. I don't care. I hate this organization so much. And he knows deep down inside everything what you had just said is true. He knows that. Like, he knows that his best course of action, if he cared about the championship, was to finish out of his contract this year, play with Durant and see what happens. Roll the dice. He knows that. Like, he was so spiteful to them. He just said to his agents, get me out of here. I hate them. I can't believe they're doing this to me with this whole contract and they have to win a championship or right or wrong on how the Nets handled it. He couldn't take it anymore. He said, I want to get out of here. Yeah, He got his request. And he's in Dallas, and it's just like he'll he'll now spin it to this is the this is this is great, right? Luka, da, 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 da. But he just it was more about his revenge for the against the Nets. Yeah, revenge against the Nets and his own ego, his own ego mm-hmm. that he is a great player. I think we all acknowledge that he's a tremendous player. He's just an unreliable player, and his feelings were hurt that the Nets weren't simply saying, "Here's a full max. You're a full max talent. Here's a full max contract." When he demanded the trade, and you make that phone call to me, and now I'm kind of thinking about this. And we had about 48 hours. It was 48 hours between the trade demand on Friday afternoon to the actual trade on Sunday afternoon. My first reaction was F him. I'm not trading you. Like basically great. Just so just because you demand a trade a week before the trade deadline, or in this case, six days before the trade deadline, doesn't mean I'm going to give you what you want. But you start to realize Kyrie is nuclear. Kyrie Irving doesn't get what he wants. He's not just going to show up and play. He's not going to show up and put a smile on his face. So I think for the first day, I was on the side of tell him to go F himself. I'm not trading him and just get ready to play you know, and come back and play. Once he doesn't play that Saturday night game, which turned out to be a really fun, incredible comeback without him. Once he doesn't play that game, you know, it's over, you know, okay. Yeah. He's never going to play for this team again. And now you have no choice. Now you just got to take advantage of the teams that see the talent, the teams that say, hey, it's basically a rental and go get the best possible deal. So I would say by Saturday night, when we got the news that he was going to be inactive a day later, I think the writing was clearly on the wall that they had to go out and make the best possible trade and that there, there was no fixing this. As much as you know, their best chance of winning a championship was fixing it. This was completely unfixable. I came to that conclusion by Saturday night. Yeah, it, w- it was toast. And sucks that I have to make this comparison. But when Kevin Durant asked out the first time, different circumstances. And I do think that was kind of playing in our heads where it's like, well, the Nets will just play hardball again and they'll be able to get Kyrie to come back. But a couple of differences. One, uh, I think. As crazy as it sounds, I do believe Durant has more respect for the Nets organization than Kyrie Irving does. Kyrie Irving, as you just mentioned, the nuclear button. Like, who really knows what he's going to do at any moment? That you, It's a little bit different where, yeah, he probably will sit, even if it does cost them X amount of millions of dollars. And then I think the biggest factor, I think there was a sense of relief from the Nets. Because as much as Kyrie Irving dislikes them, I think Josiah and Sean Marks dislike him just as much. And they were just so happy to have it over. And when they basically got that option, they said to themselves, you know what? Josiah probably doesn't care about winning a championship anyway. I think for Sean Marks, there was a sense of relief 
that he could do his job in a certain way where it was just about the X's and O's and the basketball standpoint, that there was probably a sense of relief that they could deal Kyrie Irving, even though what it led to with Kevin Durant gone, and they could just go back to being a boring organization that nobody <laughs> cares about. Yeah. And I do think n- not winning a championship, it sucks. And I know you and I, that that's all that we care about. Uh, but I do think there was a sense of relief. Like we never have to deal with Kyrie Irving again. Well, like it makes my day to day just going to the workplace better. Well, but, but also there comes a point and, and I think every net fan came to this point at a different moment in time where you say, this is not going to work. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you make these moves, you know, you're not winning a championship this year, but you also set yourself up better for the future. When do you make that decision that you know it's not going to work? When they make the trade with Dallas, which I was back and forth on the Phoenix deal and the Dallas deal, on which deal I preferred more. The more I think about it, the Dallas deal did turn out to be better. The unprotected pick where Mavs could be bad in 2029, who knows, with the future of Luka. You get two very useful, helpful players in Spencer Dinwiddie and Dorian Finney-Smith. The Phoenix deal, I don't know how much Chris Paul has left, and I think you only make that deal in a last desperate effort to keep Kevin Durant happy because the only appeal of Chris Paul is that he is a great leader and that maybe his name and what he's done in his career would be enough to convince Kevin Durant, hey, I want to stick around. But outside of that, the Chris Paul J. Crowder deal was not a better deal, in my opinion, than Dinwiddie for for, uh, Dorian Finney-Smith at a number one. And same thing with the Laker deal. Like, Two unprotecteds from the Lakers could be insanely valuable, but the pieces you were getting for today and tomorrow, because I don't think Dinwiddie and Finney Smith are necessarily gone at the end of the year by any stretch, they weren't helpful enough. So I think when you look at what was out there, they took the best deal. Now, the idea that, well, Joe Sy was never going to trade him to the Lakers, that would piss me off if the Lakers had the best offer. I'd be annoyed by that because I don't care how bitter you are against the player, you have to put the interest of the franchise first. I think they did. I think they made the best trade out there. I thought a little bit about the Phoenix deal, but that just would have been a last-ditch effort to keep Durant happy, and I'm not sure it would have because I think he knows Chris Paul is probably well, well, well past his prime. And then, yeah, so that that probably keeps Kevin Durant. And I personally, I normally don't feel this way. Normally, I'm just like, hey, let's let's rebuild. Let's get assets. Let's get picks. I'm kind of happy that the Nets didn't go full blast mode with pick upon pick upon pick. I mean, they did get a lot in the Phoenix trade, but I'm glad they didn't flip Mikel Bridges over if, if it was to Memphis for four on, or for four first round draft picks. It's been such a tumultuous couple of years with a couple of bright spots here and there, but it's been so bad. I'm okay with a year or two of just like nine to five seed 10 to six seed basketball where they're fun they're competent and they and they they try hard normally i would be like hey let's just blow this thing completely to smithereens but i I, i'm kind of okay with this course of action because i just personally for my sanity need to watch the kind of team that we've seen the last couple of weeks you know two and two winning games losing a heartbreaker but at least at least like the, the, you know, the, the big topic is the Mikel Bridges San Diego Padres salute. And that's they, been refreshing. <laughs> yeah, I, I think when you have when you have very little control of your draft capital, which is unfortunately the situation this team's in for a few years because of the rocket trade. I don't think that was ever an option. 
Because even though you could say, well, but you're getting more first round picks elsewhere. Yeah, but if you're not competitive, your picks are going to turn out to not help you. You know what I mean? Like your mm-hmm. own failures aren't going to benefit you. Yeah. So I think you've got to go, hey, I'm trying to win. I'm trying to develop and I'm trying to collect assets. I think you needed to do all three. Now, when Kyrie's gone and we went back and forth on this on text message, I was convinced Durant was gone. Like right away, I think I said it to you. This is not this ain't happening. <laughs> this is he's going to be traded. And you held out hope for what, yeah. two days that Durant was going to say, no, I'm glad Kyrie's gone. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, I thought because, and I still believe this, that he was blindsided by Kyrie Irving's trade request. I think this came out of nowhere to Kevin. I shouldn't say nowhere, but I don't think he was expecting that, and he was pretty surprised by it. I thought KD was going to be furious, just finish out this season, see how things go. Uh, I I truly believe that. And then the writing was on the wall when the Woj tweet happened, and then I slowly started to buy in. I'm like, you're right. This thing is completely over. Uh, He is out of here. But I... Shame on me. You know, I thought there would be some sort of like loyalty after seeing like, I I guess my point is you demanded a trade in the summer. Things were actually going pretty well. He was happy with where he was in the organization. I thought it'd be kind of a pathetic look to ask for a trade again. Uh, ultimately, I was wrong. It happened. And he, he he's not here. But yeah, I was I was completely wrong on that. I, I thought what gave it away and why I was so confident the rant was gone is Adrian Wojnarowski is very, very obvious these days. Mm-hmm. It's obvious what he's doing. I remember last year when the world is telling us James Harden wants out and James Harden will eventually be traded to Philadelphia. Woj would sit there on TV and basically lie to all of us and say, no, nah, the Nets have no plans to trade him. And when they ultimately did trade him, and then Sean Marks gave him the whole story on what happened, it was obvious what Woj is doing, which is doing the work of Sean Marks. So, yeah, he's a great reporter, and he gets a lot of uh, news stories, and I give him a lot of credit for that, but he also does the bidding of executives. And I all thought, I thought immediately yeah. when he said they have no plans to trade Kevin Durant, I'm laughing to myself, they will trade Kevin Durant. They will, and they will because Durant doesn't want to be here because Kevin Durant, and while I appreciate what he did here, right, when he played for the Nets, he was a tremendous basketball player, and he always gave it a 1,000% on the court, and he gave us, that, gave us that utterly brilliant performance in Game 5 of the series against Milwaukee, obviously left it all on the court in Game 7, and almost single-handedly allowed the Nets to beat the team that won the NBA title, and maybe we would have won an NBA title. So I don't even hate Kevin Durant. I don't. But what Kevin Durant proved with us is what he proved when he left Oklahoma City to go to Golden State. He doesn't want to do crap alone. He doesn't. And so while he could have looked at this roster and said, well, we got a lot of shooters and Nick Claxton's becoming a defensive player of the year and we got a shot. He didn't want to be the lone superstar. He didn't. And he basically admitted that. And so he said, get me to a place, specifically a place that has Borderline multiple superstars, but at least one other legitimate superstar in Devin Booker. And that's what it came down to, that that's the the part of the legacy that Kevin Durant's going to have. Not with us, because our legacy is very different. But in terms of his NBA legacy, is he always wanted to go somewhere where he felt he had enough help. He came here because he wanted to play with Kyrie Irving. Once Kyrie was gone, he could cry all he wants at a press conference. He didn't have any loyalty to us. Because the more I think about it years later, I don't really think he chose the Brooklyn Nets. He chose Kyrie Irving. 
and Kyrie Irving chose the Brooklyn Nets. Where am I wrong here? No, I, I you're not. And he it does feel like he gets manipulated by Kyrie Irving. And that whole relationship is just strange and bizarre and everything that's tied together. And let's be true. I mean, when Kevin Durant, I don't know what's going to happen this season. And maybe he wins the title with the Phoenix Suns. And this is this is kind of I wouldn't Kevin Durant's a multimillionaire. He's one of the best players to ever play basketball. But when people say, what do you remember about Kevin Durant's career? It's going to be the failure in Brooklyn. doesn't matter. I mean, that's the truth, right? Like, it doesn't matter how many titles he wins or maybe something crazy happens in Phoenix where they put it on his shoulders. But right now, if you're telling me the story of Kevin Durant, it's the utter failure that was the Brooklyn Nets. That what well, the experiment that happened there, that to me defines his I, defines his career when you're looking at it from above. That, I, I think it's going to be the, the biggest thing. Yeah, but I think a lot of his defining kind of characteristics in his career was leaving the Thunder after blowing a 3-1 lead to go to the team that beat them, to go to the champs. And it looked bad. Or not the champs, you know what I mean? The team that had a historic regular yeah. season and weren't the champs, but had won a title two years earlier. And it was a very soft look and a bad look. And so I think the reputation he had is, that well, he ran. He ran from his team. That's what he did to us. He ran from us. He came to us to team up with a great player. But once the adversity came too much where there was no other star remaining, Kevin Durant, in not the exact same way he left OKC, but ran and said, I can't win here. Now, what I had heard, and I think it was reported by ESPN and Ramona Shelburne, who did a fine job reporting on this, was that Brian Winhurst, too, I think, was that he went to the Nets and said, I'd like you to trade me to Phoenix. I want to keep this real quiet. And if you don't, I will be on my best behavior and I will try to be happy and make it work here. I got to be honest with you, bro. No. If I'm the Nets and as much as I held out to try to make this thing work, once he tells me that, it's over. It's over. Because like it's it's like a girlfriend saying to you, I'll stay with you. Yeah, I will. But I'm looking for the next guy. Right. Say, well, what am I doing? Just because no. I want to sleep with her a few more times, I'm just going to hang out, you know? She doesn't want to be with me anymore. So obviously, you have to get the right deal. You have to negotiate in a smart way. And it does seem like they got everything they wanted out of Phoenix. The only other thing I probably would have tried to have pushed is take Ben Simmons. <laughs> and awesome. we'll take back. I don't know if DeAndre Ayton actually would have been able to be a trade. I'm not sure how the rules would have worked, but I would have probably tried some kind of like take Ben Simmons shtick, but they get Mikel Bridges, they get Cam Johnson, they get all the picks. I mean, every Mm -hmm. pick you can imagine, four unprotected, you get the pick swap. So I thought they did well in the return, especially knowing that once Durant says to me, listen, I'm done again, I think it's over. And that's why I fully support it, especially, bro, if they were going to have to make some kind of desperate move to keep him happy, like trading Nick Claxton, as good as Pascal Siakam is, trade Nick Claxton in every last pick you have for Siakam to keep Durant happy and then have Durant four months from now say, I'm not happy, get me out of here, that would have been the disaster. Like, Mm -hmm. as bad as this all was, we could at least come out of this almost like we reset back to 2019. If they had made one more desperate attempt here by trading away Nick Claxton and picks to get Siakam, I'm telling you, it would have been a disaster. I would have lost my mind. 
Like that would have pissed me off to no end. So I'm happy, even though it ends all depressingly by losing Durant, we're a joke and we're a failure. I think that idea of trading Claxton would have been a bigger joke and a bigger failure. And I have always been the biggest Kevin Durant defender when I said, oh, Kevin Durant's the GM of the Nets. I said, yeah, he is. You know, he does run this organization in a lot of ways because he's the one that you have to appease to make him happy. He's one of the top 12 players to ever play the game. But if you know that he's going to walk in two to three months and then demand another trade and you're making deals for him now, you are screwed. And that's where they had to just take the organization back. And there's so many Nick fans that my co-host Alex says this all the time to me. You have to take the organization back. And I always said, well, you know, this is this is a this is a star league. But I finally got it finally got to the point where I said the Nets have to take the organization back. It's time to move on and just push this forward. And unlike the Celtics trade and unlike a couple when they had no assets, now they they have a team. You know, Spencer Dinwiddie said, what is the difference between this team and the 2019 team that was the sixth seed? He said it's. And a lot of similarities, this one has a little little more talent. Uh, at least they're now in a position where they are not terrible. They do have some assets, and Sean Marks has a little to play with. And yes, for him, his strength, biggest strength as a GM was taking the Nets out of the ashes and turning them into a playoff team. That was his biggest strength. So let's see now what he does with other teams' draft picks. Let's see what he does with some nice young players, and let's see what he can do moving forward. But yes, they... It was finally time where it was like they have to take the franchise back. You can't be just doing all this stuff because of how uh, unpredictable the talent is. You can't start making moves for them knowing that they're out of here um, or else this thing is going to be blown up into even bigger flames. Yeah, and it look, it goes back to the James Harden trade. That was the ultimate mistake. Both James Harden trades, if you really think about it. I mean... The first one that they made, I wasn't in favor of. It scared the crap out of me, moving not just Levert and Allen, but all the draft picks, which is still kind of what they're feeling today, not owning their future. There are pick swaps, and as long as the Rockets are bad, those pick swaps won't kill you. But there are two unprotected first-round picks in 2024 and in 2026 that are still owed to Houston. And then on the other end, the decision to trade James Harden after he demanded a trade, and it's It's tough because I know it's easy to look back now with Kyrie Irving not being fully available and how, I guess, just how crazy Kyrie turned out to be, how he blew this whole thing up, to look back and say, were they better off trading Irving as opposed to trading Harden? That once Kyrie wasn't available, should they have kind of looked around the league and said, hey, what's out there? And I remember one of the rumors that were out there talk about how much it would have changed New York basketball was Jalen Brunson coming back in a deal for Kyrie Irving. Now it could still have ended with Jalen Brunson leaving the Nets to sign with the Knicks. I, I acknowledge that, but that's one of the, the, the second guesses I think back on that if early on once Kyrie Irving was not available early in the season and wasn't going to get the shot, would it have been smart with such a small window to say, you know what, let's trade Kyrie. Because Durant may have been okay because Harden was there. And Harden was, at least at that point, still fully committed. You get back what you get back. Who knows? Maybe it's similar to what you just got back for Kyrie Irving. Let's say it was. Let's say it is similar. Let's say it is Dorian Finney-Smith and a Spencer Dinwiddie. And you still have James Harden. And in theory, James Harden remains happy. And James Harden's playing with KD. 
and they don't have any kind of fallout. Now, Durant still gets hurt, right, in that fictitious world. Does Harden still quit? Does Harden still say, hey, I don't want to be the lone superstar? And that's where it goes back to well, what really caused James Harden to want to get the hell out of here. And he opened up a little bit about a week ago. The implication is it's Kyrie Irving, it's the organization, it's Steve Nash. It may have been all those things. So even trading Irving early on may not have saved it. Harden still may have said, get me the hell out of here. And then you take back Ben Simmons. And I don't think any of us could have imagined as much as Sixer fans warned us. And I don't even think they realized how damaged he is. Like, he is such a damaged basketball player from a confidence standpoint. And I think that's really what it is more than it is even physical, though he is coming off a back issue, so I can't minimize it completely. But the fact that they had to take back Without a doubt, bro, the worst contract in the NBA Mm -hmm. was not an ideal situation. So I think the two James Harden trades are the two trades I regret more than even the signings. Like, they got Kevin Durant because they signed Kyrie Irving. I got no regrets about that. I've argued that with people over the last few weeks. I think they're nuts. You always take that risk with a star. But the Harden decision, both of them, that's the one that I think still stings this franchise. Oh, and it's so wild if you think back to it. It's you know you have you have a pandemic and Kyrie Irving refuses to get a shot, and then that just agree or disagree that triggered everything. It really did because James Harden's like he's not getting vaccinated. I'm out here. Durant's hurt, and he quit. And in a weird way, it's like I I have more respect for James Harden's quitting than I do for Kyrie Irving's because at least I'm not saying I would do it, and I don't think it's the right move. But I at least can see it and understand where he's like, this guy's not committed. This team can't win if he's here. I need to get out of here. I don't blame him for that part. And, you know, with Kyrie Irving, it's 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 the ego of the one-on-one battle within the organization where he truly feels in his heart that he, there was a disservice done to him, even though he created and, and manifested all of the things that happened to him. They're all self-inflicted wounds, not from other people. Yes, the Nets organization didn't do a great job of handling him at points when he created these, but they were all self-inflicting wounds from him. And then it goes to Ben Simmons, who you touched on it. He he is a disaster. Uh, he is mentally not there. He is scared to do anything with the basketball. And he is not the same player. And I think he has lost some of his athletic step. And then he has lost all of his um, confidence that, he is right now such a disaster and such a problem for the Nets from he can't play, he's making $35 million, he's an untradeable contract, that he puts the Nets in their true rebuild now, the worst possible position because he's just shot. And it's... Yeah. It, he, it's... He is, he, I, I don't... I'm, I have some hope that maybe he can get a little, a little bit better but he is not going to be the same player he was. Uh, That era is over. Well, we all, all of us have to make a promise. And I've always said this for the, you know, 15 years I've been on FAN that when a guy's value is down and people call up the radio station, or I say it on the air, we have to trade. So-and-so we have to trade. So-and-so I always say, are we still wanting to trade so-and-so if they start to turn it around? Cause it's very easy to want to trade someone when they're not playing well. How about when they are playing well? Uh, Nick fans, I guess, recently are being tested with Julius Randle. Last year, every Nick fan wanted to get rid of him. Didn't matter for what. 
Uh, Yankee fans have gone up and down with Glaber Torres. It's easy to want to trade him when he stinks. But if he goes out and has an MVP caliber year, does your opinion change? And most fans, I've done it too, our opinions change. As soon as the guy starts playing well, how could you trade him? You can't trade him. I will make you this promise. I don't care, and we all should make this promise. I don't care what Ben Simmons looks like. He can play like an all-star. The decision needs to be made that as soon as he ever rehabs his value, they have to trade him. Because in the back of my mind, and we'd be lucky if he ever regained any of his value, to be honest with you. But let's go into that fictitious world where Ben Simmons starts to remind us of the guy who schooled the Nets in 2019 in the postseason. If he gives you any semblance of looking like that guy, Sean Marks needs to get on the phone immediately and trade his ass. And I promise you this, I promise you, no matter how good he ever looks, I think we have to stay firm on this because I worry about him mentally that even if he ever did put it together for a two-month period of time, he's not going to win. It will eventually come crashing down. Now, with that said, I can't even see a scenario where he turns it around because he's starting to become a player that's unplayable especially with a roster like the Nets who actually have a deep roster where I, I don't know if I can play him any more than 15 minutes a night. And eventually I may not be able to play him at all. Here's the problem why I think he'll never be traded. And I don't think it's possible. And I hear you on what you're saying. If his value comes up a little bit, you have to make the, you have to make the trade. I think there's no other team out there. Even if his value went up, that would make the deal for him. So to me, you're either going to get Ben Simmons gets the peak performance and he stays or no. And that would be the only way you could make you could trade him. And I think at that point, if he ever got back to that place, then you just roll with it and keep it. But I think he's going to just if he gets a little better or he improves slightly or some of his game gets he's not as scared or timid anymore. I don't even think those teams are going to trade for him. Nobody wants him. It's impossible. So I would if he ever got back to that form of status, I would just keep him. Because I don't, I think he's an untradeable basketball player. It's like an impossibility until he gets onto his final year of his contract, and it's a team that's just looking for salary relief, and that's it, right? Yeah. Uh, I, it, I think it's impossible. It just, it's another thing, and and I didn't realize this at the time. I admit it that if we knew he'd be this damaged, if we knew he'd be such a negative asset, the best course of action with Harden would have been, we're not trading you, James. I'm sorry. And mm-hmm. go leave as a free agent at the end of the year. That's fine because then you don't have to take on Ben Simmons. No, you have <laughs> but the, I mean, don't lose those... the cap space. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you almost, because Harden to me is different than Irving that if they didn't trade him last year, I don't think James Harden, especially with Durant coming back, which he did, I don't think he would have not played. Like, I think he would have been upset. He would have moped for a while. He would have you know, taking advantage of the the injury, quote-unquote, that he had. But I think at some point, especially when Durant comes back and the Nets are pushing to make the playoffs, I would think just logically, because Harden, I think, is different than Kyrie Irving. I think he would have played. Yeah, he probably would have left at the end of the season. But we just never knew. And I'm not even convinced any Sixer fan knew that Ben Simmons would be as damaged as he was. Because the last we saw of him, yeah, he was spooked out in the NBA playoffs, but he was still like a player before that. Like a like a real human being. Now, as far as this team is concerned right now, here's the weird transition I'm having. Yes, they all seem to like each other. Yes, Mikel Bridges is an incredibly likable dude. 
Same with Cam Johnson. And yeah, I'm really intrigued to see Mikael Bridges kind of get that opportunity maybe to be the leading man. We saw what he did against Miami, dropping the 45. And they are a fun team. And they've got wing defenders all over the place. And once they kind of learn how to play together and the communication issues disappear, this team has a chance to be an elite-level defensive team and a dangerous team. Not a championship team, but a dangerous team. All that's true. The problem I'm having is it's very difficult to transition from a championship mentality of you and I envisioning being at a parade to now just morphing into, hey, we're the Knicks or a fun, cute little team that's likable. That's a that's a tough transition to make over a few-week period of time. The only thing that eases it a little bit is because we've been dealing with this possibility for a couple of years with Kevin Durant demanding a trade, with James Harden wanting out, that I think over the last couple of years, yes, it sucks. And they, and I'm not telling you, I I, pref, I prefer being a team that's that's going to be, you don't want to face the Nets in the first round, uh, you know, be, become that team. Uh, but I think because for me personally, that I have been dealing with so many like pump fake the Nets, it's over blow ups that when it did finally happen, it wasn't as much, it, it stung and it sucked and it was, it was the worst, but it wasn't, it was to be expected at some point because of how things have gone that even though we have transitioned from the championship now or bust to now we're a cute little story team that we care about. Uh, it did make the transition for me, not quite as brutal. I think as it could have been, if it was like the Nets were just a team that was always in it. And all of a sudden Kyrie's like, I want out of here. Right. At least there were signs that were everywhere leading up to this, and it wasn't well, a complete shock. The other thing, and I think I expressed this a few times on the fan, and maybe with you as well. I, obviously, I still watch every game. I'm a diehard fan, so I don't want to make it seem like my passion is not the same as it's always been. It's always there. I, I don't miss a game. I'm into it, all that. But I felt like I was numb watching this season through the bad early on and even the really good when they won 18 out of 20. A numbness of... I wasn't getting too down on the bad and I wasn't getting too excited on the good. And again, doesn't mean I didn't care. doesn't mean I wasn't watching. I haven't missed a basically a second of a game this season, like always, but I was very, very numb this season. And I'm not sure if it was from the Durant trade demand during the off season, the sweep at the hands of Boston, just expecting that things were going to go really, really bad. Like I didn't have that mentality that I had, in year one, I mean, year one, I was so into every single game, so many highs when they won, the downs when they would actually lose. And this year, I was almost comatose watching this season. So when it all destructed in terms of these guys not being around, it was just a very surreal feeling, not a painful feeling. You know, maybe because we just expected it. Maybe it's just because I think we've known for a while that while this was a gallant attempt, and I have no regrets about the attempt that this franchise made at winning a championship, it was clear for a while that it was doomed and we weren't going to win anything. No. And I just, I I just think back to all the decisions that were made from Kyrie Irving to stem down to this. And and I really do believe that, 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 that was the, the downfall of this. And Kevin Durant will never say it. He'll never say it publicly, but him teaming up with Kyrie Irving was a mistake for him and for him to win. Now, what does he do in Phoenix? Well, you know, we'll see. Uh, but, but Kyrie Irving coming to this franchise and Celtic fans are right. Cavs fans were right. He, he, he blew it up. I agree with you. I would have, I would have done it again. I would still do it because 
the upside is something you and I have never seen before with the Nets. So you have to take that chance. You have to take that risk. Uh, but in retrospect, it was a not the chance of doing it all wasn't as good as we thought. And, um, you know, Kyrie Irving moves moves along to Dallas, but he definitely, you know, he left his mark here with the but, Nets. But, but here's what's crazy. And I think the Knicks and Nets are now in a very similar spot and we both can relate to this. What are the Nets missing? What are the Knicks missing? They're both decent teams. Nets are sitting 10 games above 500, though I know that's a little misleading because a lot of it was from the superstar era, but the Knicks are six games above 500. And right now, the Cleveland Cavaliers, Brooklyn Nets, New York Knicks, Miami Heat, a little bit of a drop-off to Atlanta and Washington, Toronto, but we're all kind of fighting in that middle echelon of the Eastern Conference. What are we all looking for? Maybe not Cleveland as much. We're looking for a star. You know, we're back to the pre-Durant-Kyrie days of dreaming about a star. And the Knicks fans been doing it for a very long time. And so when the Knicks collect first-round picks and the Nets now collect first-round picks, the ultimate goal that I think Leon Rose and Sean Marks are going to have is to go get a star. Now, what we learn from this is you got to get the right star. But sometimes beggars can't be choosers. <laughs> it's so yeah. it's it's weird that we are now back without a star. And, and you certainly hope Mikel Bridges becomes one. Nick fans are hoping that Jalen Brunson becomes one, and he's had a tremendous season, no doubt. But the end game remains the same, and that is looking for a star. But I think what we all need to be careful about is, is that star the star? Is that star the right guy to go bank on? You know, and yeah, that's going to be the tough decision for all of us, but... It's so weird now, man, because I, I do like this team. And Mikel sure. Bridges has made a, a really good first impression, not just from a personality standpoint, but from a basketball standpoint. But it, it's so weird to go from that of KD Kyrie, KD Kyrie, KD Kyrie for years to just a completely different roster. But at least hope for the future, knowing we own every first round pick that the Phoenix Suns ever had. Yeah, now the dream is that you get the Sixers in the first round and you end their season. Like, oh, can me, you imagine that? That <laughs> I kind of I want the Sixers in the first round because I don't. I think for me, on a personal level, and and just watching the Nets, like why not just screw up their season or make it really tough? This team is not going to win more than a round if they do, or you know they're going to hope be a top six and 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 be in a competitive series. But yeah, you, you've changed your mindset from. I want to win a championship to now, like let's ruin the Sixers season. It's that's what we have. It's a great point. Obviously the first goal we'd have right now up by three games in the loss column, two and a half overall on Miami with the tiebreaker is avoid the playing tournament. I think that's obvious. Can this Nets team avoid having to do what we did last year, which is playing a playing tournament. But if they can do that, I know logic says, oh, you want the 4-5 matchup. And they're only a game behind Cleveland in the loss column. And remember, they have a two-game series with the Cavaliers, both in Brooklyn, coming up in March, which could be huge games. So I know logically it's, oh, the 4-5 matchup. But I kind of see what you're talking about. If you're in a 3-6 against Philly, everyone's going to pick the Sixers. But we could go in there with absolutely nothing to lose. Oh, Philly beats us again. Like the Eagles always beat the Giants. Like the Phillies were in the World Series. Like, okay, they beat us a few years ago. It sucks. You move on, you lick your wounds. But if, God forbid, Nick Claxton locks down Joel Embiid and James Harden chokes in a big spot and Mikel Bridges against his hometown team, 
former Villanova man sticks it to them, that would be like winning a championship. Like, you're right. And, and that's obviously a very different mentality. I almost would take, you're going to hate me for saying this. Yeah. I think I would take more joy in knocking the Sixers off than even knocking the Knicks off in a first round series. I, yes. I, I, I see you on that point. I can understand it. That's why I thought it. I, I And I think maybe <laughs> like Ben, maybe Ben Simmons magically. No comes back and he <laughs> sees his he, he sees the Sixer fans and he becomes a 27 and 8 guy and he's doing great. No, I would love it. Let's you know, knock off the Sixers, uh have a fun first round and then get your ass kicked against the Bucks. Let's yeah, that's all. <laughs> or the it would be, it would be funny if the Nets win around whether it's against Cleveland, Philly, the Knicks, whomever. And I I don't expect it, but just, you know, for the sake of this. That would match the amount of series one well, in the KD Kyrie era. Yeah, and remember this too. Like, let's say the Nets get in the playoffs and win a game, they they accomplish more than last year. That is true. That is true. It's a weird place to be. Very weird place to be. You can check out uh, Mike Basegli. He does a great podcast with Alex, the Nick fan, who's enjoyed our destruction quite a bit. Yes. Uh, the uh, Bad Weather Fans podcast. So definitely check that out. And hopefully we'll do a few more on these on the Brooklyn Nets. I apologize uh, between doing the show with Craig and obviously Rico Bronia, which I've committed to. We usually don't have that much time to sit here and talk about Nets, but hopefully we'll do a few more as we head towards the home stretch and head towards what's going to be a fun playoff race. Because bottom line is this, you got a bunch of teams bunched together. We don't want to be in the playing tournament. We're battling the Knicks. We're only separated by them by three overall in the loss column, two overall. So it should be a fun stretch drive. We appreciate you listening and downloading the Evan Roberts podcast. I'll talk to you with Craig Cart Monday through Friday at 2 o'clock.